You are listening to the Mombcast, the best weekly comic book podcast recorded in Southampton, England on Thursday nights. In our 248th episode, we'll talk about this week's comics. I'll talk about this week's comics. And in his spotlight, James will be talking about Gambit Classic Volume 1 by Various. No, uh, James Explains. James Explains Gambit Classic Volume 1 by yeah. Various. Yeah. Around the mic tonight are... I'm James. Hello, I'm Nick. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'm Nick Explains James. Yeah. And I'm James explains uh, why he's feeling so bereft because, you know, apparently, apparently someone is now the official, official artist of a a rival (laughs) podcast. Are you talking about David Wynn? I am seething, Nick. But he loves us. But they've stolen him. Why? I want him to be our official artist. I I don't think we've ever asked him specifically. I mean, what, what are Rachel and Miles going to give him apart from a well-produced, entertaining, and informative podcast that's listened to by many more people than listen to this podcast? I, that also has a um, uh, now a dedicated revenue stream. Apart from all of those things. What is that show going to give him that we don't? I think you're being unfairly hard on ourselves and on David. I'd like to be hard I think on David. Of all of, I think of all of those things you just said, yeah. it is very unlikely mm. that the uh, listenership and uh, revenue stream yeah. will even impact on his decision. Oh, no, absolutely. I, all I of the stuff about um, being better produced and stuff, though. I mean, it's a high quality. I'll allow oh, it. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, I suppose it will, um, being the official artist of Rachel and Miles, um, allow him to be seen, but I mean, our has audi- that officially been announced? Yeah, was that an SDCC it's on thing? It's on Twitter. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's part of SDCC. I believe um, that Rachel and Miles have the main hall on Saturday night. Oh, and they're going to be uh, announcing it, announcing it there. They're expecting uh, twenty thousand people to turn up to that announcement. Apparently, I'm I'm not sure how dry British humour necessarily tr- translates all that easily, uh, but we are very glad for Rachel and Miles's success. I love it's it. a Comics it's, Alliance thing, isn't it? It is, yeah. They're now on Comics Alliance. They're I, a good I, fit for that site. Yeah, so it's I, a great it's site. such a good podcast. It's so good. Um, and we're really delighted for David because, A, he obviously loves Is loved, that really real or are you being... No, it's real. Uh, Do podcasts have official artists? And, they were, and what they were doing, what really hurt, what really, <laughs> what really hurt the most was where they were sharing uh, flirty, creative pictures with each other. And I was thinking... He used to bring me flowers. <laughs> I wish he would again. And then just started crying. Although when we eventually do our Patreon... Um, um, campaign. What's it called? Campaign. Um, one, of the, one of the things you can have, the levels, yeah. will be um, your own personalised photograph of me crying because David Wynn has... Um, has um, what, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? He's left us. He's deserted you. Deserted You've been cuckolded. Yeah, if you like, actually, because I do listen to it every week. It's kind of like being cuckolded. I have to watch it on Twitter. Him putting it's his an unrequited his, love affair. I have to watch him putting his big meaty talent into Rachel and Miles's accepting um, podcast podhole. I had to cut into that because I, I wasn't sure exactly how bad you were going to get. Not that is bad. That, is that why? Okay. Is that why James? Is that why you're doing an X Men book? Are you trying yeah. to win him back? Yeah. That's exactly it. I thought I saw it in the library, and I thought I know how to do, I know how to win David back. I'll do it. I'll do more X Men because we I don't do any X Men really, do we? I didn't think he even liked the X Men. Well, apparently he loves them. Many times I have thought I'll cover an X Men book, mm. and then I've thought I don't think I don't think David likes X Men, and he's yeah. one fifth of our listeners. That is, I thought he was one fourth. No, no, we've we've got a couple more listeners. I've been buying them on Reddit. <laughs> 
to be fair, we have a we have a very um, small but dedicated and loyal. All of uh, our listeners are amazing. Yeah. David is amazing, especially. I just talked right over you. Sorry, James. that's all right. I was going to be sincere, but you know, let's. Why don't you get in the way of that? After two hundred and well over two hundred and fifty episodes, probably by now, I finally decided that us talking over each other is a problem. It's fine. Um, and I finally decided after uh, almost 250 episodes and some pretty heavy medication that it's okay uh, to be sincere. Because you normally hate it, don't you? you yeah, I'm fine with it now. my efforts. Fine with it now. Um, uh, the, in other news, our first, I think it might be our first proper piece of fan art, unless you count our logo, which was mm. done for us by, by uh, life partner Steve. But as a as a kind of a fan art thing, we didn't and, know we were getting that. It was amazing. And also George Beedham, who does our and iTunes Beedham, icon. Who does our iTunes icon. So we have had some in the past, but for an actual character who appears on the show, because there have been five characters uh, who appear on the show. Do you remember um, David Wynn did our alternate thing? Do you remember when David Wynn loved us? What did he do? He did our alternate iTunes logo, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Mm. I'll forget it then. I was gonna, uh, but those are logos. Those are just for those yeah. are for the show. But then also David did that Chuckle Brothers picture for us, which I desperately want to get hold of the original of that because we don't know who's got it. Should I be admitting that out loud on the? You all think I've got it? Yeah, I'm convinced you've got it. But I don't know. I'm I'm where original art that people do for us out of the kindness of their heart goes to die. If um if anyone's still in contact with Dave Wynn, um can you can you let him know? <laughs> Can you can you ask him if he's got it or does he think Nick's got it? Because um, there's there's some stuff I'm doing at the moment that I'd quite like to use it for. We spoke about it about two years ago, but I'd like to put that into fruition. I'll have another look at home as well. Yeah. Um, anyway, out, so Nick. we're very glad of the success they're having. Um, that has really that's awkward middle bit stuff. Really, it's oh, about so the most awkward of all awkward stuff. Is that what you took out of what I said that I'm pleased for them all? Yes. Okay. Also, uh, thank That's... you so much to Peter Hammerson yeah. for his uh, wank killer image uh, that he did in the week. That is just astounding. Yeah, no, it's really good. We really love that. Um, I feel like uh, what with Batgirl and with Wankula, mm. his, uh, he's, he's really hitting his stride in the whole art thing. Yeah, I agree. So that's pretty good. Mm. But this is all awkward middle bit stuff. No, it's We've not. Strayed. This is my week. My week That's has week mostly has been... been consumed with um, feeling a sense of resentment towards Rachel and Miles. Okay. And a feeling of loss and regret when I think about David Wynn. I think that's probably going to hurt them, hurt them all deeply. Interestingly enough, Nick, and uh, if you listened last week, if you're, well, if you're a regular listener, you'll know the backstory to David Wynn. So I won't explain that now. Cause, the backstory. Yeah, yeah. Which is over the last four and a half years. <laughs> has been building it's it's been like the arches but uh, if you listen last week you may remember that um i walked past a dead pigeon oh yeah the dead pigeon's still there nick seriously the dead pigeon what are we is, paying taxes for i don't know the dead pigeon is slowly decomposing That's and i horrible. feel i feel like i want to make a little tiny momcast pigeon t-shirt <laughs> and i feel like i want to put it on the pigeon um because i feel like the pigeon is a metaphor for the Momcast. That's a horrible thing to say. There's a, do you know, there's a dead hedgehog down the same road. It's fucking macabre, that road. It's like an abattoir for roadkill. It is, it is. It's, I don't like it at all. I just had a thought. Bearing in mind that people tend to do fan art of uh, characters on mm. things, um, strictly speaking, it wouldn't be that absurd mm. for David Wynn to do a fan art yeah. of himself... As seen through the eyes of the show, right? That wouldn't be weird, would it? No, because be... he's kind of a character on the show as well as a real human being. No, I can't differentiate between the two. I'm completely lost. And uh, and so's our friend Michael, yeah, Mike George, you, and so's our. I think we can say Peter Hammerson's a friend and contributor now because he's been on. Yeah. He's had a few contributions on Max Barnard. Yeah, all of these are actual characters on the now show. Now we're going to have to go into a naming cycle, aren't we, George and Timothy too? George and Timothy too. We should do a song like uh, Bob, Bank Bob Monkhouse used to do before he died. Not so much since. No, he's his output apart from that advert. So did they do a three D hologram of him? No, he didn't. Like advert. They did with Tupac. No, he didn't advert. He did. It was very much like the old. Um, wasn't it Yul Brynner who did the anti-smoking campaign? It was like I'm dead now. Did Bob Monkhouse do one of those? He did a have someone stick their finger up your ass advert, didn't he? I'm dead now. 
get someone to stick a finger up your bum. I don't see how the two things are related. He wasn't it prostate cancer that killed him. Also, it wasn't a sex thing. It wasn't a sex thing. Um, th- this week, have you had the finger? By the way, because you're forty now, have you been in to have your prostate exam? Uh, when you say examined, yeah. Uh, is someone supposed to report back to you, or are they just supposed to stick their finger up your? Their arse? doctor is supposed to stick the finger up the arse and see if it's enlarged. So they have to be a doctor. Well, as long as they know whether a prostate feels enlarged or not when they stick a finger up your bum. So look, really, Matt, as you could have a friend do it if they know what they're doing. Then no, I haven't had that. If you're over 40, chaps, you should go to the doctor and have, uh, have the doctor stick the finger up your bum. I think they must have checked at the various times they've been up mm. there. Really? <clears throat> Maybe. You should definitely do it. I'm looking for my 40th is in March next year. First thing I'm going to do on the morning of my 40th birthday is march down to the doctor's surgery and say to my doctor, hello, doctor, stick your finger up my bum. I think every man who lives in a country where there is um, a, a national health service that uh, that you don't have to pay for individual mm. things on should should understand that they are entitled to have a camera stuck. Well, and women, I guess. Uh, should understand that they are entitled to have a camera stuck up their bottom mm. uh, gratis yeah. on the NHS. Not for laughs, though. Not not for laughs, but it's useful to know what's up there. Yeah. I've had two over my lifespan All right. so far. I mean, you know, I hope to live at least another five or ten years. So <laughs> <laughs> um, this uh, week, speaking of uh, uh, longevity and uh, and the passage of time, it was my son's birthday, my first birthday. I won't talk about it because that's more the other shows, uh, the other show's subject. But it is something that happened this week. And if the other I'm not show careful, Nick is referring to, forget, to uh, can be found at twogrownmen.net. Feeling a bit bilious there, James. Yeah, it probably helped. If I do, prom- do you think promotion whilst burping <laughs> is the way to go? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, so it was his birthday, and that was lovely, and we had a very nice time, and we went up to Oxford and spent some time with the in-laws, and it was all very nice. He didn't really understand what was going on, but again, that's the other show. But the first birthday is notable, and it was part of my week. There so, is a um, very cute picture of um, of Noah sat in his daddy's chair on Nick's Facebook at the moment, which I thought was absolutely adorable when I saw it. He's very cute. He is very cute. So follow me on Facebook for baby updates. He's like a mini Nick. He's adorable without the beard. I wish you'd put a false beard on him just because I'd, oh, I'd eat him all up. <laughs> I don't think I want that to happen. Well, I'd, you know, I'd just bite him gently. In a in our office, not weird. In our office, just before I came to record this, I was talking to a couple of my colleagues um, saying about how the thing about having a son when you're a man is the awareness that at some point it is his job to uh, uh, consume you yeah. and replace you. Yeah. And my other colleague who has two sons said, no, you've got that all wrong. The only point of having uh, having children at all is so that you can harvest their organs when you need them later. Oh, that's a good point. I was like, I thought that's what clones were for. Mm. But I don't know. I was just the clones thing. I was just desperately trying to bring it back round to vaguely geeky ground. Uh, so your week was uh, regret and, and a dead pigeon. Uh, yeah, and a dead pigeon. Yeah, my week was uh, son birthday entirely about my son. Uh, I'm no longer an actual person except for the part of me that does a podcast, uh, does two podcasts a week. One of which is about comics. That's this one. We're about to talk about comics, James. It's about to happen. We've started doing the admin at the end. Oh, I've got a joke. What? How do you know someone's a parent? I don't know. Don't worry. They subhume their entire personality to their child and become a husk of the person you formerly knew. That's a good joke. I like it. Thank you. We're ready to go. Yeah, let's go. Let's talk about comics. 2000 AD. That's almost a catchphrase. Let's talk about comics. It's not a very good one. Uh, (laughs) 2000 AD, Prague, 1891, uh, entirely uh, created in the year 1891, <laughs> using up all of the resources in that year. Poor 1891. Very, very confusing. Second and final part of a Judge Dredd story called Student Bodies, um, written by John Wagner with art by Boo Cook. There's a slight editorial issue, I think, with the fact that this story followed on so closely from the previous Judge Dredd story. Uh, because 
They're very, very similar stories, although the outcome is more depressing in this one. Uh, they're both kind of about – this one's about mutant and the other one's about sensitive Clegg. But they're both kind of about characters uh, who are outcasts from that society. And Dredd's response to the two different creatures, the two different people, is inconsistent between these two stories because they're by different writers. Oh. So in the previous one, he's a little bit dismissive of Sensitive Clegg. In this one, he's very much, I might not have felt like this before, but I've got to try and save this mutant. Uh, it, there's also no good good outcome in this story. It's quite depressing. They're my favourite dread story. So to be honest with you, yeah, nice, I like it when it's bleak. Nice art by Boo Cook, though, although oddly upbeat considering the subject matter. It's good to have John Wagner back, making us feel guilty about just everything. Um, Sinister Dexter looked okay, but I didn't read it. Uh, Aquila Carnifex. This, when I was talking about Aquila last week, I said I'm, I have a little bit of trouble with it sometimes, as a, because I don't really feel I know Aquila very well. Um, what became a lot clearer in this part of this story, it's written by Gordon Rennie with art by Lee Gallagher and colours by Dylan Teague and letters by Annie Parkhouse. The the thing that was slightly unsettling me in the previous part, I felt like there was a lot of focus on Aquila, but I didn't know very much about him. And there was also a little, a little bit more about uh, Roman culture, which felt like Pat Mills style uh, set dressing. In this particular uh, instalment, it feels much more like probably what the what the uh, story is supposed to be like. Which, and you kind of suggested this last week, that Aquila is supposed to be kind of a bit unknowable, at least in this particular story. Mm. Um, he's seen very much and treated very much more as a force of nature that is is one of the agents of change within the story. But he isn't the main character at all. Mm-hmm. It's just all kind of happening around him which is interesting. Brass Sun is lovely as always. And there's a new story, which I'm kind of enjoying so far, called Black Shuck. It's the first part. It's written by Lee Moore and John Repian, who I don't believe have written for 2080 before, but certainly not on something with this scale. Um, it's a whole new strip, and it's uh, written, uh, it's drawn, sorry, by Steve Yow with colours by Chris Blythe. And it's about a Viking or the son of a Viking and a British person who goes back to who who goes to find his father, um, who's a king. He's like the lost heir to this Viking king. And you think that's what the story's gonna be about? A Viking king. A Viking king. Uh Viking Viking King. Viking King. Look, weren't they clans, so they were leaders, weren't they? they weren't Viking really leader king. Um Viking but, King. But you think that's what the story is going to be about, and then it turns out there are trolls. So it's kind of very – it feels kind of like that – not Robert E. Howard, but, you know, the whole – that that sort of really cool mix of mm. pseudo-historical but also mythological stuff going on with a bit of uh, swashbuckling and brutality and stuff. Steve Yowell's mm. art's always nice to see, and I actually prefer him on something that's a little bit more grounded than um, the thing about pirates that was just completely out there that oh, I never quite got on with. I really like that. Black Seas, was it? Yeah, I never quite got on with it. I liked it. Uh, it was weird. Quick mention for number eight of The Midas Flesh, created and written by Ryan North with art by Shelley Paraline and Braden Lamb. This has been a really fun... Uh, really accessible sci- uh, science fiction comic, science fantasy comic, really, but with a real grounding in what feels like proper science and a little bit of mythology because it includes uh, King Midas. <laughs> it's really interesting because it's kind of from very early in this issue, it's a total change of pace from everything else that's gone on before in that it introduces this really high-level existential and philosophical debate that's also grounded in physics and stuff. The rest of the series has been about this small crew of freedom fighting, um, uh, freedom fighting space people, uh, one of whom is a dinosaur. And this issue uh, ends up almost being a theological or, or philosophical debate between them and a higher power or a pair of higher powers. It, it, it's like all good 
science, not all good science fiction-y fantasy things, but it kind of feels a little bit like, you know, the last 10 minutes of 2001 where the story's been kind of going and then suddenly you're stuck in this. You felt it's quite grounded, but then suddenly you're stuck in this huge uh, philosophical thing that's going on. I don't know. Really liked it. It's going to make a great book. Um, Ordinary kind of has a similar thing going on this has been so much fun up to this point this is by rob williams and disraeli it's uh, number three from titan three dollars 99 uh this has been such a good comic up to now and you can listen back to me talking about it before to uh, hear about how amazing the writing and art is in it or but, uh, people well, could just take your word for it or they could just take my word for it the writing and art is amazing but this issue each issue has kind of become, been slightly less silly, slightly more uh, – the stakes have been slightly higher in each one. This one is a really nice capper to that. It carries on with that progression to slightly more serious. But it's it's also still really fun. And he um, – the whole way through, the main character has been trying to find his son and he finds him. But there, that it's kind of a bittersweet reunion as well great comic really really good you should definitely get those they're probably both going to be coming out in books fairly soon so you should definitely get them listener um i surprised myself a little bit with my next purchase it's a and i missed the doctor who there's a doctor who comic starring the 11th doctor uh, that's written by al ewing and someone else i think maybe rob williams but i'm not sure and i think the arts by someone that i um, really like the art of as well well I can't remember who but I didn't notice that on the shelf because there was a really nice looking Doctor Who uh, with is it 10 David Tennant <laughs> on the cover I think it's 10 but it's written by Nick Abadzis who is a creator who I who I mainly know from Deadline comic but I know you've talked about Lyca as well mm-hmm. which I still have on the side I borrowed it off you but I still can't bring myself to read because I think it's going to make me cry. One day Nick could give that back to me. Well, I mean, I, I probably will before I read it. I don't know. Mm. Um, read it. It's an excellent book. Normally, TV, and I mean, this is from this is from Titan. I think there's there are limitations to where you can get it in the UK. I think, but it's uh, three dollars ninety nine from Titan, um, and I I bought it based on Nick Abadzis's name because I thought I was quite interested to see what mm. he'd do. Um, but I still think that most TV shows, the uh, comics of them don't quite measure up, even if they're really nice looking, like the uh, IDW Star Trek comics are really nice looking at the moment. There's a, a weird story where Q, Q is introduced to the uh, new movie, version of star trek oh, okay and it's all a bit crazy and it, it patrick stewart's in mm. it his likeness is in it and and so's uh, they're going to deep space nine and it's all very weird i think the character is called pick picard picard and yeah, um, rather than patrick stewart and i can't remember the other chap um <laughs> but but normally the writing is the story's just desperately trying to tie it into the yeah, tv no, series or movie or something it's not normally very good um the interesting thing with this comic is that it's set just after he's left, uh, he's had to leave Donna Noble behind in the comics. David Tennant's Doctor has had to leave Donna Noble. Donna Noble was my favourite companion in pretty much in this whole run of Doctor Who, to be honest. But it does the interesting thing of painting, I hesitate to say realistic, but the characterisation in this comic is better than the characterisation in the TV series, which tends to be a bit too fluffy. It helps that the Doctor himself is, isn't in it that much. Um, he's, he's, he turns up and he's seen as this interesting character in the background. But the real core of this story is this, I think they're a Mexican family who have settled in New York. Uh, the main character is a young woman called Gabrielle, I think, who has ended up She's left school, she's at college, but basically she's this really smart girl who has ended up working for her dad in his in his two businesses. He's not letting her really fulfil what she sees as her potential. She has a friend who's trying to convince her she should branch out, um, but she doesn't really 
she doesn't feel that she can and her entire family has her locked into working in this restaurant and in this laundrette. Um, and the doctor is kind of peripheral to that. Something weird happens when she's talking to a friend in the laund- laundromat and then this weirdness starts to spread out to other people in this uh, in this community. I'm hoping they're Mexican because otherwise me saying they're Mexican is incredibly r- racist, just assuming that. I don't know. The book that it is most similar to, as far as I'm concerned, is Ms. Marvel. The new, the new Ms. Marvel with um, the it, that's about a teenage girl in a Muslim American family, um, and her experience as a first generation immigrant in that, and her family uh, is well realized in that, and is very familiar to me from from people in my extended family. This is really similar to that, but not. But in its own way, it all feels really real. It feels like a story mm-hmm. about this extended immigrant family and this girl who's trapped in it. And then this weirdness, some of it quite horrific. Because the doctor's there, you know it's not going to be supernatural. It's going to be science fiction-y, fantasy in nature. But it, it fulfills the potential of the Doctor Who TV series that the TV series doesn't reach all that often where everything's happening at this quite nice pace her and her family are completely well realized. Um, the and the art. The other thing I wanted to mention is the art is absolutely gorgeous. The art is by Eleanor Casagrande and Ariana Florian. I just want to double check what the yeah. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how those art chores are divided. Uh, but the art is beautiful. It's kind of got this really loose, but grounded style to it sometimes it looks a little bit manga influenced um a lot of the time it looks like mark buckingham's art a little bit who who does i think most famously fables but who's done a lot of really great character character centric comics um really nice color oh there you go artist eleanor casagrande with the colorist ariana florian really nice color really slick looking gorgeous Mm. book the locations, the locations all give you a really nice sense of place, but the characterization is really nice as well, and it all flows really well. This is that weird thing um, in TV and movie adaptations or TV and movie spin-off comics that it's a really good comic that happens to have Doctor Who in it, rather mm-hmm. than uh, rather than what you normally get, which is you're lucky if you get an all right comic, yeah, out of a TV tie-in, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, Nick. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad. Um, the One of the other books I got this week was number one of uh, Supreme Blue Rose. I guess it's Supreme hyphen Blue Rose. Uh, it's $2.99 from Image. It's set notionally in the Supreme Universe as created by Rob Leefield way back when. Um, Alan Moore has famously done some really nice work on this universe as well. Um, it's kind of become the Superman analogue that you can do really far out things with, which is quite interesting. Although I guess there are a few of those around. But this one is written by Warren Ellis with art by Tula Lote. Um, I, I've seen I've seen Tula Lote's work before, but I don't think I've seen it in a comic like this. I don't think I've seen her sequential work quite like this before. Oh, that's um, you no, know, I, I get that. Um, Warren Ellis hasn't been doing that much comic work in the last few years and then he's kind of had you can't really call it a comeback because he's never because he's been here for years (laughs) well yeah because he's never really fully away from comics Mm -hmm. but with um, Moon Knight which was excellent but was very much each issue was kind of like for me it felt like each issue was kind of one compressed little episode of something but it was more often than not it was a decompressed scene yeah quite often a really good one yeah. for a decompressed scene. Um, and Trees is very different and very good. Mm. And this as well. I don't know if it's because he's been away for a long while and hasn't been as prolific in comics or if the sort of writing he's been doing elsewhere has been uh, very different or what. But the stuff that he's doing at the moment seems much more poised and restrained and... Um, he's always articulate, but it's not got that that nervous, excited energy that you got in Transmetropolitan mm. or or even Planetary or something like that, where the, it, everything 
was great, but it had this real rush to it, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. This doesn't have that. And the, as with trees, although if, if you look closely, you can sort of see that Warren Ellis wrote them, but he doesn't fall back on the voice that was visible in Dr. Sleepless and Transmetropolitan. Mm-hmm. The characters don't talk the same way. They're not as pithy with each other all the time. And it's great. I mean, I loved him back then. But I just think this is amazing. It's like his vision, but the characters talk more like their own people, and it's just great. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure what's going on yet, but I think that's because it's purposefully mysterious. It opens on a dream sequence, and then you get the um, character Dana Dane, Diana Dane. Sorry, uh, you get the the character Diana Dane who we're seeing it from her viewpoint at the moment. She's an investigative uh, reporter who had her one big story and then lost her job promptly afterwards. We don't know a lot about that. We just know that she kind of needs a job. Um, And she's told in her dream not to trust Darius Dax. Uh, and then later on in the – you can tell it's a Superman. It it started out as a Superman. There's a lot of alliteration going on. She's told not to trust Darius Dax, who later that day she has a meeting with, who is this uh, very rich, very powerful, almost entirely anonymous. He says, I think, that he's the most famous anonymous person you'll ever meet or something. He has this job that he has to explain to her where he gets people, he finds out information and then sells that information to people who need it around the world. Not strictly a spy. He calls them actors. And when she says, do you actors as in movie stars? He's like, no, I mean, people who make things happen in different places around the world. And he offers her an awful lot of money to go and find out about this mystery that's happening in a small town. And that's basically the setup of this issue and this story. But it's told in this really nice way as i've as i've already alluded to the characterization's really nice it flows really nicely we're introduced to one of uh, diana's friends as well and she's pretty well realized she's the most warren ellisy character she's the most pithy mm-hmm. um and there's a little bit of uh, noodling with the introduction of a character called professor knight in a two-page a- insert into the story there's a character called reuben who is super interesting who has a weird disorder that you kind of have to see to be believed. Tula Lote is fucking amazing. Really, the art is just absolutely beautiful. I mentioned Mark Buckingham before. The thing that this most reminds me of is Mark Buckingham's work on Miracle Man when Neil Gaiman was writing it back in the early 90s, which is probably one of the highest compliments I can pay something. But I like this more because it's it's looser. The style is much looser. Mark Buckingham back then was very – his work was very formal, but it was beautiful. Everything was very graceful and and gorgeous while at the same time telling a story. And this reminds me of that, but it's so – it's also so loose and has such a, a nice amount of flow. It, she gives a there's a little bit of a demonstration in the back that she transitioned from uh, drawing traditionally with pen and ink to uh, working digitally in this, but it all looks really painterly and gorgeous. Really nice, really really nice comic. Um, Two dollars ninety nine like trees. So I don't know if uh, one thing that I've always really liked about Ron Ellis is when he has any choice in the matter, he tries to keep comics cheaper. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's because he loves the little guy or girl, although, you know, he loves poor people, although he probably does because he seems all right. I think it's because he understands that that way more people can buy it. Yeah, for sure. So um, really good comics. See if you can find that. You don't need to have read Supreme at all, as far as I can tell. I'm I'm peripherally aware of Supreme, and I have read the Alan Moore comics. I don't think it relates that closely to that at all. Much like all of the other relaunched Rob Leefield properties from back in the day, like Profit and Glory. Finally, this was a complete surprise to me because I love Jeff Smith, but I was one of the people who didn't. I didn't buy Rassel because it it was a bit too weird for me from the off, um, and because it seemed like a very ad- adult story. But Jeff Smith's art 
just is too whimsical for me to be reading that sort of story. Um, and I've got the whole collection of Bone, but I've always kind of crashed out. I've got a giant Bone back in my bedroom, uh, but I, I've always kind of crashed out around the middle of it because it's so beautiful that I just spend too much time looking at the pages and getting very confused. Uh, but there's the first issue of a new series by him called Tuki. There's an accent over the U. I don't know how you say that. But it's Tuki number one. Um, it is $3.99. It's self-published uh, under his uh, uh, publisher cartoon books. I think that's his his publisher. And it's written and drawn by Jeff Smith uh, with colour by Tom Gadd. It's, uh, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it, Gadd. I, I wouldn't know. I can't see the word, and I'm probably the worst of all of us. G-A-A-D-T. Gad. Um, it's, it's, it's all done landscape, oh. which might irritate me eventually, but actually it works yeah. pretty well. It's, it's done landscape, so you fold the pages up oh, as, I hate you, that. as you read. Um, it's set two million years ago when a great ice age gripped the earth. I'll just read out what it says in the front. A great ice age gripped the earth, trapping all moisture in the polar ice caps, causing drought and upheaval in the rest of the world. Vast tropical jungles gave way to dusty grasslands, and all living creatures struggled to survive, including the many species of hominids. To avoid extinction, something had to be done. This is the story of the first human to leave Africa. And um, I think Tuki might be the character's name. I'm not sure anyone ever calls him by it. It's... It's really, it's really interesting story that I think he's. It's clearly an era that Jeff Smith is really interested sure. in, because um, he talks a little bit about it in the back, and I guess because he tends to do quite kid-friendly comics, there's quite a nice little Tukey timeline in the back with little drawings of uh, of each of the different uh, dinosaurs go extinct 50, sixty-five million years ago. Um, and he's got little pictures of all of the primates down to Homo erectus and Homo habilis 2.3 million years ago, 2 million years ago. And he says in the back that he's really interested in paleontology. So um, so he's tried to do quite a lot of research to get this kind of right. There are mythical and uh, maybe supernatural elements in this in sure. this first issue. But but mainly he's kind of uh, there's a conceit in there so that the so that two different sorts of hominid can of primate can talk to each other yeah. hominid can talk to each other sorry. But the idea is it's a time when there were lots of different genetic mm-hmm. versions of what we were going to be smart monkeys smart monkeys around and uh, only one got through mm. uh, the rest all got voted off the off the planet. Mm. Uh, I understand it was a phone vote evolution's X factor Um, but all of that's kind of a backdrop for the first few pages you don't really know what it's about you just know that it's uh, well unless you've read the bit at the top which I hadn't done you just know that it's um, quite a wild landscape and the first few pages are largely wordless just literally uh, it's a, a pretty cute progression of just this character sitting on an outcropping trying to uh, he gets hungry you can tell because his tummy growls so he tries to eat a fruit then he kind of drops the fruit and he has to chase after it and that's just the first three pages is him retrieving his fruit in a really I want to say a sort of a Sergio Aragones style um, uh, set of sequential panels but Hmm. actually you know Jeff Smith has always done this sort of thing and I don't know Loads of artists back through time have been really good at this. I don't know if Jeff Smith, Jeff Smith is actually from an animation background, but it's he's always been really good at at giving these sorts of scenes hmm. a natural sense of movement and stuff like that. So we talked about my issues with wordless comics before, but I find this really easy to read. Do you find wordless comics easier to read when they're in landscape? I don't think so. Okay. Um, but it is gorgeous and the colours are absolutely amazing and up to a point it just looks like a normal situation a relatively normal what you'd expect in that situation he's trying to find food he sees some vultures eating something he thinks I'll have some of that then as he goes goes down there into the scrub to try and get to the the animal he sees a saber tooth or whatever the equivalent was in that era and has to back off and it's all just 
really normal stuff like that setting a not normal for us but you know setting a sense of place mm. and it isn't until a few pages in that he encounters this uh this uh, other smart monkey from a completely different species who starts babbling about destiny and uh, prophes- prophecies and stuff like that that starts to the engine of the story starts to form a little bit but the main character he just kind of wants to survive and this other character is suggesting to him that he has some sort of deeper greater purpose but at the moment there's no real evidence that this other character isn't just crazy you know what i mm. mean and there's a, quite a lot of humor comes out of him as well and i it's it's kind of part part of just jeff smith's way of doing comics and his storytelling but also the characterization between the two different characters um, the characterization of the two different characters and the interplay between them. There's lots of humor in there. And actually just seeing the main character's reaction when he sees the saber tooth, his facial expressions are great, but there's something quite cartoony about it all. There's a sense of threat. I mean, that's the thing I'm going to, you know, probably worry, not worry about, but once these, there was actual peril in bone, but I never got to the point where any characters actually died or anything but I'm sure it happens later on. And I don't, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it when it starts happening in this. The first book I talked about, um, the Midas Flesh, has a really similar thing going on because the art in that is very similar to Jeff Smith's style. It's, it's quite cartoony, but also really well um, observed. The figure work is all great. The anatomy is all amazing mm. and the movement is all amazing. And it's the same in both comics. Um, but the stakes in that end up being cosmic probably in scale and in this uh it's a brutal world he lives in you see a little bit of it in this but you know that it's gonna the stakes are gonna keep rising it's gorgeous though it's so nice it's such a nice looking comic and so i'm definitely going to pick up the next one i think um I'm, i'm pleased for you both tukey it's good uh, very, very briefly, I just want to mention, I saw a comic that I had to pick up for you. I know you haven't had a chance to read oh, it, so you can't thank you. really talk about it. Mm. But Gru, is it Gru versus Conan? Gru versus Conan, and it looks nuts. So it's it's Sergio Aragonas and Markovania, I guess. Yeah. But also there are whole chunks of it that are drawn by... Uh, let's have a look. Uh, Richard Starkings and Comicraft. Uh, Thomas Yates. Thomas Yates, who's like, mm. I think a classic, pretty classic. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of kind of very that sort of realistic sort of line style. Um, and then yeah, they they appear to they appear to well actually, say they appear to meet up. Their worlds kind of collide, but then from what I can make out, much of the um, much of the book seems to be uh, Marco Vanya and Sergio Aragones walking and talking, which I love it when Sergio puts himself. Oh, and there's his bottom. Oh, there's Sergio Aragon is his bottom. Mm-hmm. I love it when he puts himself in his comics. But they're talking about the. F- they're talking about whether or not doing a crossover of Conan is a, a good idea or something, aren't they? Yeah, it's very so, odd. Yeah, it's very strange. And then, as always, there's a lovely referto, um, a Gru's dog story at the back, a wordless referto. Story Can you read back. it? Did you find you could read it even though it's in uh, profile? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, portrait. Portrait. Sorry, yeah. not profile. Um, Thank you, though. I didn't realise. I thought you just put it there for me to have a look at. That's no, it's yours. That's lovely. I'm not going to buy you the rest of them. No, that's fine. But now I know they're there, I can um, pick them up. Awkward middle bit. Awkward middle bit. Um, Jane, who can't be here this week, we haven't actually addressed that. She had, she at the last minute something came up, but she was very excited by the news that broke this week, I think. Dark Horse announced that they will be publishing the sequel to... Um, oh, Fight Club. Fight Club. Is it uh, written or just... Is it written or drawn by... I can't remember who it's by. Definitely written by Fight Club Man. Chuck Palahniuk is is co-writing it with someone. Yeah. I'm not sure if... Um, sorry, I haven't really researched this. No, nor have I, because James is going to do this bit. It's one of those things She's that excited. She's it, well up for it. it it's... I think it will be interesting, and if people don't want to read it, they don't have to. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Mm. I find the stuff they're saying about the story a little bit perplexing, mm. but, you know, whatever, it should be funny. I haven't read the book, only seen the film. Uh, I have a fact about the film. 
fact about the film I have is it's the last film I ever bought on VHS. Oh, really? Mm. I think I prefer the film to the book. Mm. The um, That's quite good as well because the film has loads of stuff about editing in clip. The, the VHS was probably the last... Uh, the last format you could really splice things mm. into in that yeah. way, which is quite cute. Although I don't know if you can do that with VHS now that I think about it. I don't know. But well, you can if you've good. got tape and more tape. It's nicely old-fashioned yes. in a way that, that, that suits that film quite nicely. I no I longer have it because I lent it to a friend. They never gave it back to me. Um, obviously, they obviously wasn't thought, me, was it? They obviously, no. Yeah, they obviously thought, oh, this format's obsolete. I won't bother bringing it, giving it back to James. Oh, man. Mm. That sucks. Say what? Um... There, there are loads of announcements coming out of STCC at the moment. When is that this year? It's now. You knew that, didn't you? It's yeah. It's um, yeah. Twitter is awash with STCC. One of the icons that people are using on Facebook is uh, the uh, STCC logo, but it's around the outside. It says, "I'm not at." Yeah, <laughs> which you know, Gary Erskine in particular, I think is using yes. a great amusing effect. I think Anthony Johnson is as well. Um, the, the a few of the uh, the comic freelancers here in the UK are suffering for the state of the uh, conversion rate between the dollar and the pound at the moment. So our thoughts go out to them. Yes. Because that's pretty sucky for them. Indeed. Uh, Because most of the work they're doing is in the US. So um, the the one big announcement I noticed, and I can't even remember what the name of the comic is, but there's going to be a comic from Image uh, written by Warren Ellis with art by Declan Shalvey and colours by Geordie Belair. So awesome. art by Declan Shalvey and Geordie Belair, which mm. is just going to be lovely because Moon Knight, I'd, I'd only barely got used to the idea of the three of them working on Moon Knight, which was just such a gorgeous comic before you know their run started to wind down. So this is going to be great. And like I said, I think Warren Ellis is doing some of the best work of his career at the moment in comics. So, Oh, another thing that got announced today is uh, Warren Ellis is developing a TV series with Gail Ann Hurd, which I think is probably something he's been interested in doing for quite some time, moving to TV. And he did do a little bit. He did some work on the Global Frequency adaptation mm-hmm. of his comic series. So um, that should be interesting. But that's that's TV, that's not comics. No, but it's, you know, tenuously related. Any other awkward middle bit stuff? Nope. What was that noise you just made? That was me thinking. Um, I listened to a podcast earlier on called Three Bods, One Pod. I've been listening to lots of podcasts in an effort to try and uh, review lots of podcasts and get people to review us. I, mm. I don't mind admitting that I'm being that pragmatic and cynical about Fair it at enough. this point. Uh, but I'm not giving any lying reviews, and that's what's important. Mm. Um, but I listened to a podcast called Three Bods, One Pod, and it's two uh, men and a woman doing a All Things Geeky podcast. Mm-hmm. They are more news and geeky stuff centric than we are. But they're also quite. I'm to say that sounds quite a familiar dynamic. But they're also quite. um, They're also very knowledgeable and they're quite funny. They're not as. Their humour isn't as broad as ours. Okay. They're probably a little bit, you know, nicer than we are. I don't like them already. (laughs) But I really enjoyed it, and I've been I've been uh, talking to uh, one of them today, and they they are doing good stuff. So I'll put are them they, in the show uh, notes. Are they uh, British podcasters? Yes, American they are British podcasts, podcasters. But they're not recording on Thursday, and they're not recording uh, in Southampton, mm. and they're not specifically about comic books. And have they got any uh, official artists yet? I don't know. I don't think so. So um, anyone who listens to this, if you, there's an opportunity for you. No. No, we need official artists first. Okay. I think we can have... the. That we have to have at least three official artists yeah. before they have one. That's you can true. have more than one official artist, can't we you? We can have official artists. Um, do you think other people think we're as funny as we think we are? I, I don't care. I used to, but these pills mean I don't care anymore. <laughs> do you find they're levelling you out a little bit? I'm just a, I'm just, I just don't care about other people anymore. So uh, you introduce me. You have uh, put something in James's mouth. Ah! Uh, yes, I do. Oh, Clarky, cl- thank you. Clarky the Cruel was good enough to get in touch with us. Um, and uh, he says, and I'll do it in his voice. All right. Is so, this his bit? Is this, to this put is his bit. This is to put something in James's mouth. 
Clarkie has done that this week. Clarkie the Cruel has written into us and said, I've got something I want to put in your mouth. He's from up north, isn't That's he? That's an exact representation of how he speaks. Okay. And he says, all right, sci-fi cricket 11. I'm attending Thought Bubble Comic Convention in Leeds in November and I've decided I'd like to get a sci-fi cricket 11 sketched. After consulting on the internet, I decided on the lineup. I have, of course, cheated and have two already. The next question is, who do I get to draw them? Suggestions from the Thought Bubble guest trader list would be welcome. And then if you go to uh, clarkinacrawl.wordpress.com and search for Sci-Fi Cricket 11, you'll find um, uh, various suggestions um, that he already has there. But why don't you go along, uh, have a look at his suggestions and um, write to him. Uh, you can find him as uh, Clarky the Cruel. Clarky the Crawl. On Twitter, or you can leave comments on his WordPress site and leave him with suggestions on who he might want to have sketch up his uh, Thought Bubble sci-fi Cricketing 11. He's already got a couple like Dan Dare. Dan, who's Dan Dare? Oh, Dan Dare. Who's Dan Dare? Dan Dare, opening bat, but opening bat and captain. Uh, and then maybe like he's suggesting uh, Luke Luther Arkwright because um, he looks like David Gower. Were you? Um, is this a little bit of your thought bubble anxiety coming through? Why? Because Kihar, uh, he's one of the one of the two uh, uh, presenters of the wonderful dissecting world. Brilliant dissecting world. He's worlds. very supportive of us in yeah. all of our endeavours. Yeah. Um, he's from up north. Yeah. Which I know has been the subject of a few of the conversations you've had with him online. We have a little bit of banter occasionally. Well, I, it's I, fine. It's I'm fine. pretty sure he's not in Oasis. He might have been. You don't know, do you? You don't know what people's passes pass are like. He might have been. Cause I know they had a lot of people come and go from that band before they were successful. They're not. They weren't the Sugar Babes. No, the Sugar Babes had a very stable lineup until they made it, didn't they? Uh, okay, so I'll post a link to that. I'm sorry, Kihar. I love you. <laughs> I'll post a link to that in the show notes. Mm. Thank he's, you. He's James. genuinely, he's genuinely his affection, dude. I'm sorry. Uh, do you want to do your spotlight? Yes, please. How long do you want? Oh, I need about forty-five minutes. Uh, well, you can't have forty-five minutes. So, how long do you want? I don't know. Uh, give me, uh, give me a, a, a amount of time that you determine. Five minutes. Yeah. Go. Hello and welcome to James Explains Gambit Comics. Oh, sorry, no, that's on the Wikipedia page. Welcome to James Explains Gambit Origins. Um, no. Welcome to James Explains Gambit Classic. I think so far it's going at least as well <laughs> as Rachel and Miles. I don't know whether you agree. Um, the the book, in a desperate, uh, a desperate attempt to appeal to David Wynn, um, <laughs> I picked up from the um, library this week Gambit Classic. What is wrong with you? Where do we start? <laughs> uh, Gambit Classic uh, collects Uncanny X-Men 265 to 267 and Gambit 1 to 4 and is written by Chris Claremont and Howard Mackey and illustrated by Bill Yasker, Mike Collins, Jim Lee and Jim Weeks. Not all at the same time. There are various different stories in here. Mm-hmm. The, the two stories that appear in here are separated by a fair amount of time but both feature quite important origin stories for Gambit. Gambit, of course, is the the Asian X-Man, who um, uh, is denoted by his kinetic energy. Yes. That's his, that's his mutant his power. power. Um, and he usually uses that kinetic energy to throw deadly playing cards. Yeah, he's got two powers, the deadly playing cards mm. and a stupid accent. Well, actually, funny you say that, um, stupid accent, but actually in the very first story where we see him... Uh, helping Storm out of a sticky situation. This is the period in Storm's life where apparently she's now in the body of a young woman Mm -hmm. because uh, Nanny and the Widowmaker captured her and did something to her and her dislike of uh, cramped spaces. She's claustrophobic. I found it out from listening to a really good podcast. Yeah. meant she escaped. But now um, she's kind of regressing back to a thief. She's been in Egypt. She's ended up back in Cairo in the US. She's regressing back to when she was a thief. She gets into a sticky situation and Gambit helps her out. And funnily enough in this, and there's all sorts of um, evil henchmen with spiky, uh, spiky um, 
Spikes. Spiky spikes. On their arms. I wrote all this stuff down. I completely forgot to write down. You're doing fine. I completely forgot to write down who the bad guy in this particular. It's the Shadow King, is it? Yeah, it sounds right. It's Egypt, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Uh, Hardly. Uh, Let's see. Where does he say? Oh, come on. It's a Chris Claremont story. He's going to say his fucking name sooner or later, isn't he? (laughs) Is it? Look, there's a living panel at the end here where he's gritting his teeth. You would have thought. I think it's the Shadow King. Yeah, okay. Let's say it's the Shadow King, and if it's wrong, then I'm just going to have to live with that, aren't I? <laughs> he he helps her escape from the Shadow King and his henchmen. Um, the stakes are, are, are increased exponentially throughout the story. But um, in in this story, it is suggested that one of Gambit's powers is he has the power of. Um, distraction and persuasion with his voice. Yes. So when he keeps talking, people are distracted and he can cause cause them to sort of take their eye off the ball. He has three powers. Yes. Kinetic so, energy, persuasive voice, which he apparently used in a, a little bit of a hmm. weird way in a recent comic, and a stupid accent. Uh, yeah, and um, it, being being a Claremont story, it, it's, I was going to say overwritten, that's not entirely fair, very verbose. Yeah. Uh, there's some crazy stuff going on. It's at late Claremont. Um, I'm not familiar enough with the X-Men to know about Nanny and the Widowmaker, but they seem entirely frigging potty. Yes, they are. They're, they're nonsensical. And it took me an incredibly long time to read the 73 pages, but it's a very enjoyable introduction to uh, someone who is a very mysterious character at this point. Mm-hmm. Not brilliantly realised up to that point, but what we do also get in this collection is Gambit 1 to 4, which is an origin story, but at a point where Gambit had become a more established character. And it features Rogue and it has a little bit of their uh, on on and off again love story, which is a wonderful, unrequited love story. I really love it. Mm-hmm. And of course, obviously, that was substituted. Rogue was substituted. Sorry, um, Gambit was a. Uh, um, Substituted with played by Wolverine in the first X Men story, wasn't he? Because there was that sort of will they, won't they going kind of going she on. Was supposed to be oh, really young in the X Men. Oh, she wanted a touch, but she couldn't. Or was it Iceman? I can't remember. Probably Iceman. Otherwise, it's a bit know. creepy. Was it me that wanted to sleep with Wolverine in the first? Yeah, probably. Rogue yeah. was kind of uh, swapped out with Shadowcat or Jubilee in in the. Of course, film. she was. No, and it so, was Ice. It was Bobby, wasn't it? Was it was Iceman. Iceman that she was having the affair. You with. had a whole creepy head version of that whole story I did I had a very U tree I'm going to need a couple more minutes I'm really sorry so um, this origin story seems him go back to his roots in New Orleans as the tithe collector comes to collect tributes from the the two guilds in New Orleans Thieves Guild from which Gambit originated and the Assassin's Guild I won't go through the entire story but it turns out that Belladonna his original wife is stricken and he must fight both the Thieves Guild and the Assassin's Guild to create this elixir in, with which to rescue her. And you've got you've got various uh, various sort of um, uh, characters trying to stop him, uh, along with Belladonna's mad, twisted brother Julian, who's an extremely creepy sort of uh, shadowy figure from the Assassin's Guild. Do you get the feeling that any of the people involved had ever been to New Orleans at the time that they made this? No, not at all. Okay, There's right. Not, not nearly enough jazz in this for a okay. starters. But it's obviously the, the the marriage between Belladonna, who is the, the daughter of the leader of the Thieves Guild, uh, the Assassin's Guild, I beg your pardon, and um, Gambit, who was the adopted son of the leader of the Thieves Guild, was, was brought about to try and bring peace between the Romeo, two. Romeo and Juliet-esque. It is kind of Romeo and Juliet, but you've also got Rogue travels back with him as well. So you've got this wonderful sort of um, menage a trois, this lovely, well, it's not really a menage a trois, it's more an artois. Like, so maybe a stellar artois. Stellar artois. This beautiful stellar artois between Belladonna, who is comatosed for much of the story, and Rogue, um, and there's this wonderful... Do you time. mean a love triangle? No, yes. They're, and there's this lovely... This is just like it. This is just like it. I tell you what, if only we could capture a bit of their market, we'd be on to something. I tell you. Miles. Yeah. Yeah. This time next year. This time next year, we'll be able to go part time in our current full time roles. Excellent. I'm on for this. Let's do this. We'll be able to reduce hours by at least seven and a half hours a week. And I, there, was, there is this really lovely touching moment because the love story is the most interesting part. The love triangle and the love story is the most interesting part of this origin story for Rogue. Gambit. For Gambit. And there is this lovely part when Rogue is is um, questioning whether 
she should touch Belladonna. Belladonna is lying out and she takes her glove off and I could know everything she knows and should I, shouldn't I? And then Belladonna grabs her hand, so takes a decision out of there and she she sees this love story but supplants herself in Belladonna's place and it's really lovely, this sort of... And a bit weird. And a bit weird, but I kind of like it. It's kind of... Um, it's a really angsty sort of teenage love story and I can see why... You know, I wish I'd been reading next minute at this point. I'd have dug it because it came yeah. out in 1990, around about that time. I'd have been all about that. I was, well, I wasn't all about unrequited love. I um, I was very lucky. I, I met my... Yeah, we, we know the story. Anyway, it's okay. so um, it's brilliant. It's actually a very interesting... I, I had no expectations at all. The only representation of Gambit that I, I was familiar with was from the cartoon where I was watching the, the X-Men cartoon where he was deeply creepy to start with. But I, I found it a really enjoyable, really interesting origin. And obviously, because it's comics from a certain period, a relatively thin tome generally took me about four or five hours to read. It was a, yeah. a lovely afternoon in the garden reading lots that. Lots of words. Yeah, lots and lots of words. Uh, you feel like you're getting your money's worth. So I, I think it's still in print, well worth looking out. It will be back in Southampton Central Library in three weeks' time. And that's Gambit Classic from Marvel, Volume 1 and retailed at the time uh, this was purchased by Southampton Library at twenty four ninety nine. That's your US dollars. So about fiver at the moment in pounds. Yeah, probably. Thank you so for that. So let's go to our letter bet. No, sorry. Thank you for that, James. Thank you. That was awesome. Uh, so we've talked about comics, awkward middle bit, uh, put something in James's mouth. Uh, you've done I've explained the X-Men you've explained the X-Men it's almost time for us to go there are full oh uh, have you got anything planned this week yes I'm doing a secret project on Saturday exciting I'm gesticulating wildly with my hand and we've got visitors at the weekend that's nice Um, uh, there are full show notes for this episode they are at the site the site is momcomics.com you can go there look at the full show notes for this episode there'll be links to all of the things we've talked about that sound like they'd have links if you follow any of our links to Amazon we do get a tiny bit of money for, for that well, I mean, if you spend money once you get there. so And our know. children do need shoes. Our children do need shoes. I need shoes as well. Um, the You can also leave comments for us on the site. We do like comments. Uh, you can leave comments for us at our Facebook page as well. Each, uh, each episode gets a post on Facebook too. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud or subscribe to us at your podcatcher of choice. A lot of people use iTunes. Uh, we also use Stitcher and Pocket Cast around this table love Uh, stitcher yep if you can uh if you do enjoy our show and you haven't already if you can rate and review us on itunes that would be lovely and obviously share us with anybody that you think might like us tell your friends tell your family tell your pets yes do all of those things Uh, we may sound like a podcast in the end stages of its lifespan sometimes based on on james's (laughs) james's (laughs) <laughs> just general demeanour but but hopefully we're, we're actually not um, you can uh, we're, probably, also, we're probably sort of crawl over the line of five years I imagine yeah you can also email us uh, with uh, just anything questions or, or comments or feedback that you don't want to share on any of the actual public sites animals having pictures of animals having sex don't send us that okay or you can send us audio contributions we take those for the show anything between uh, two and five minutes um or if you want to send us a put something in james's mouth that's the feature you heard earlier on uh, i won't explain it right now because he'll only do the noise uh, if you want to send us any of those things you can do that by sending us an email at momcast at gmail.com that's at gmail.com thank you james very much thank you for repeating what i just said you can also leave a voicemail on the site there's a little link on the left hand side of the site if you click on it you can leave us up to 90 seconds of voicemail we should ask people specific questions that they can you could leave one like for example saying hey that's not fair i don't sound like that you're misrepresenting me yeah you could do that uh, whoever James was suggesting uh, was speaking then. Uh, you can also talk to us on Twitter. I am Nick Sight, N-I-X-S-I-G-H-T. James is? James Mom. Jane is Jane Comics. John, 
who's largely absent from this episode, we haven't mentioned him at all, is John Mom with no H in the John. And there is a Mom Comics account yeah, uh, at Mom Comics on Twitter. I think that's us. It is No Me, No Jane next week. Exciting show. Do tune in. All different sounds and stuff. <laughs> Thank you, listener. You are amazing as always. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.